Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. In 2016, Maggie Smith experienced what it was like to go viral. Her poem, Good Bones, was shared all over the internet. Celebrities shared it. Mothers who could relate shared it. Even Meryl Streep read it at an award show. After that moment, her life changed. In her memoir, You Could Make This Place Beautiful, she details for us exactly how her life changed in the most painful but incredibly necessary ways. We got a chance to talk about it and all the nuances in between. So I always ask my guests, since our podcast is called In Her Shoes, either what shoes are you wearing right now or what are your favorite shoes to wear? I am barefoot right now because I'm in my house <laughs> and I and yes. I can be. Um, <laughs> my favorite shoes to wear, it like kind of depends on the season. I have like a pair of sandals that I wear a lot in the summertime. And during the the year, I'm either wearing like Chelsea boots if it's cool out like flat mm. little flat ankle mm-hmm. boots or I'm kind of um, obsessed with my pointy rothy flats that I can machine wash. oh I know what you those know what shoes I, are yeah yeah I have them mm-hmm. in too many colors and I just throw them in the washing machine and I love them wow and what would you say it's like to be in your shoes in life at this very moment well you know it's uh here the kids are just freshly out of school, so I'm on mm. summer <laughs> mode right now, which means like cooking three meals a day for two people and trying to keep everyone busy. Um, yeah, so yeah, we do a sort of like uh, free range, no child care summer here, but of course I'm okay. still writing and working, and so there's a lot of right. negotiation about like okay, I have a podcast to record. 
So if you're in the backyard, you need to stay in the backyard for the next hour. And if you're in your room, you need to stay in your room for the next hour. So wherever you are, that's where you are until I call all clear. That sounds like very serious negotiation, but (laughs) it makes sense. It works somehow. (laughs) When did you know that writing, particularly writing poetry, writing about your life, which it requires just such a, a vulnerability, was going to be something that you really wanted to do and commit to? Probably college, to be honest. I mean, I, I was writing as a teenager, but I had no idea if I'd really, you know, quote unquote, do anything with it. And when right. I got to college, I was writing so much. And I, I think that's when I started to sound like myself. You know, I think we all start out mm-hmm. as kind of like cover mm-hmm. artists of whoever it is that we're reading. Just like if you start yeah. playing an instrument, you, you start out playing other people's songs first. And so I think in my early 20s is when I started sounding like myself and seeing that poetry was going to be part of my life forever, even if it wasn't how I made a living, it would be part of my life. Right. That makes sense. In 2016, your poem, Good Bones, obviously went viral. Um Take me back to that time in your life and what was it like seeing your work all over the internet? Wild. I mean, I I still live in the same house I lived in when that happened in the same small town. Mm. Um, At the time, I had a toddler and I think my daughter was six. Like I had two little kids and Mm -hmm. I was the the caregiving parent. So I I was parenting probably much more than I was writing poetry. And so when that happened, Mm -hmm. there were people even in my own neighborhood who didn't know I was a writer, right? Because what they saw of me was me taking my kids to the park or me pushing a stroller or, you know, me coming into the house with groceries. They didn't necessarily know what I did for a living because it wasn't that public. And so after the poem went viral, I suddenly became more known just even in my neighborhood <laughs> um, for right. being a poet. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of lean in to my writing life in a way that I, I hadn't really had the chance to do before before that moment. But it was completely, it was mm-hmm. like lightning striking. It was the completely unexpected thing for a mom of two young kids living in central Ohio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why do you think it resonated with so many people now that it, that now that you've had space from yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it. that poem was published online the week of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando and the same week that um, MP Joe Cox was killed in England. Mm. And so it went viral here and there at the same time because of two different disastrous things that had happened. And so I, I think there's something about the poem, and, and I, I think it's the, the end, primarily, that gives people a sense of hope, but not um, like Pollyanna optimism. Like, the world is great, and mm-hmm. everything's fine, and we, we can do it. I think the poem has a real dark edge to it, and it, it acknowledges what a dark and problematic place the world can be. I mean, it calls the world at right. least half terrible. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, but the end, that turn at the end to, you know, you could make this place beautiful, I think is that spot where people are like, okay, I don't, we're not completely helpless. Like these, 
these bad things are happening, but we still have the power to, with our individual actions and collective actions, to make the world a better place um, and the responsibility to do that. So I, th- I think, I mean, that's what I hear from people is it ma- it gives them a right. sense of, of sort of momentum, like to want to do something to make the mm-hmm. world better. What personally, I mean, you obviously talked about how other people viewed you and, and had a, you know, a, a realization of who you were, even if they lived in your neighborhood, what would you say after Good Bones really changed for you personally the most after that? Because obviously your life shifted and in between that time of before you could make this place beautiful and after Good Bones, what changed in your life? I mean, a a lot, (laughs) I think. Um, A big, big, yeah, a big question. (laughs) I mean, professionally, so like there there were shifts professionally and personally. So professionally, um, I suddenly was traveling more. I mean, I suddenly was in mm-hmm. more demand to come teach a workshop, do a, you know, a, a keynote address or or a reading, go to a literary festival. So that for me was really exciting because I had been, I mean, I still live in my hometown. So it's it was an exciting thing to get to sort of go out and be a writer, not be someone who's sort of like mostly writing, you know, under the radar. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. personally and related to that, and and I you know, I wrote about this in the in the section of the of the memoir that was featured in the cut is it created some growing pains in my marriage because as I said, I had right. been and still am, frankly, the the caregiving parent, the person who's around and packing mm-hmm. the lunches and making sure the laundry's done and the, you know, the the all the conferences and the doctor's appointments and, so, and all that stuff. And so when I had the opportunity to travel more and and sort of like step into this sort of new role in a more public way, it um, was not easy. It was not easy on my marriage. Obviously, you can make this place beautiful. Incredible book. Thank you. Who haven't read it, they totally should. Um, I truly love it. Um, what was it like writing that did you know going into it writing that that was what you know that was what you wanted to do and just kind of I think walk people through the process of what it was like for you and if it was actually therapeutic or if you just were writing to get it out of you yeah I, I kind of think about this book as as the book I had to write so that I could write other books <laughs> um mm. it was sort of like uh I didn't know how to live all of that experience and have it occupy so much of my headspace and then try to write books about other stuff. Um, it just, it right, wasn't going right. to work for me. And so I, I knew it would be a memoir and not poems. I didn't know how to, to kind of tell these stories in verse. So I knew I was going to need a, a sort of vignette format for this book. And mm-hmm. it really was, it was almost like a, like an armoire sitting in front of a doorway. And I needed to be able to sort of write this book in order to move this big, heavy thing out of the way so I could keep um, keep doing other things. I wouldn't say it was yeah. therapeutic. Um, you know, naively, I really did think when I started writing this book that I would somehow think deeply enough into my divorce and my adult life in general that I would figure it all out and have all the answers and kind of solve it. And, and then right. I would be like, well, that was that. And now I understand it all. And I can just set it down and move on. 
So I expected mm-hmm. it to be therapeutic in that way because I thought I would be like the the detective of my own life. And, right. um, you know, spoiler alert, I, I there are so many mysteries that I just cannot solve because I'm only one person and, you know, families yeah. are made up of multiple people. <laughs> um, so it was not therapeutic in, in that way, but it was really contextualizing for me. And that was therapeutic. Like, oh, this yeah. is how this part of my life relates to this other part of my life. This is how this one occurrence actually reminds me of how I behaved in this other occurrence. And I see a pattern mm-hmm. there. You know, poets are always looking for patterns. And I, I definitely yeah, found yeah. some in my life that I, you know, didn't necessarily go looking for. Would you say that was the most challenging part about writing this and in realizing the patterns in your own life? Oh, no. The most challenging part of writing it was um, publishing it. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's a memoir. So I think that the most challenging part for me was like, not even the writing of the book. It was the handing the book to other people. Mm, Because it was so so personal. personal. Yeah. In poetry, you always have a little bit of distance. Like, maybe it's not that far, but the me and my poems perhaps because of the form of the poem, it always feels a little bit like I can kind of step away. It's a little bit, you know, tell it slant, as as Dickinson said. And so there's mm-hmm. no slant, really, in, in memoir. It's just me. I mean, it was terrifying, to be honest. It was a, a terrifying experience to kind of kick this book out of the nest and, and see, see how, it, how it might fly and where it might land and what people might say about it. Yeah. I mean, how did you also, as a writer and just process-wise, make that shift from writing poetry to completely, you know, putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and writing a memoir? Yeah, I, do, I, I really don't feel like I had a choice with this book. Like, I, I would really have loved, frankly, for this book to have presented itself to me as poems. <laughs> like I wish. Yeah. Every time I get an idea, I'm like, please be a poem. Because poems <laughs> are like the water I can touch in. You know, like, I feel like I'm in my depth. I feel like I can keep my head safely above water. My feet are on the bottom of the pool. I can move pretty well in poetry. That's what I'm trained in. That's what I've been doing for, you know, 30 some years. And so when an idea comes to me and I realize either early on or not so early on that it can't be poems, I'm always like, oh, no. Um, Here we (laughs) go. go And so like an essay (laughs) to me feels like, you know, slightly deep water that I can kind of like tread and keep my face out of. But this memoir felt like open sea swimming. Like I just, Mm -hmm. like I was airdropped into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and had to figure out how to do it. Um, But the, every piece of writing, I think if we're listening carefully, tells us the container that it wants to live in. And this is the container that it wanted to live in. And so I had to trust it and, put my ego and my fear aside, that dangerous duo, and um, and yeah. just kind of follow where it was taking me. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. 
their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. I mean, and specifically talking about your divorce, how you made so many efforts, how you wanted to make it work. Why was it so important for you to explore that in such an, an honest way? Well, I don't know why I would write a book about my life and and not try to tell the, the whole truth, at least as I know it. Um, right. You know, because it's not, it's not an infomercial for me. <laughs> it's a, right? Yeah, so it's a yeah. book about my life. And so one of the things, I mean, uh, goodness, writing a memoir is like such a crash course in vulnerability and and courage and also I think like one of the things it takes is letting go of the need to be the good guy and like sort of be the hero of your story Mm -hmm. because then you might be writing an infomercial for you where you're trying to Mm -hmm. convince other people of how wonderful you are and how none of these bad things should have happened to you and how actually here here you are standing, planting your flag on the top of the mountain at the end. And I never really wanted to write that kind of book in part because it it kind of grosses me out to think about it. But also it's just not true. Like that's not how life works. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me though because I, I mean, we obviously get so many galleys of books and the way that... Um, people, you know, choose to narrate mm. their life is is so vastly different. And there are so many different memoirs that, you know, we've read or um, had on the site. And I do think that yours is very particularly rooted in like a very honest tone of like where you're at and where you were um, in a different way. And so I do, I find that very interesting because I do think it just takes a lot of courage to do that, that a lot of people don't want to really go there. Well, thank, I, uh, thank you. I mean, that's really why I, I found myself breaking the fourth wall, I think, really early on in the writing of this book, because I wanted to be able to feel like I was having an intimate conversation with a human reader, because it felt so vulnerable mm-hmm. to just be telling these stories to a faceless audience. Like, I, I don't, you never know right. who your readership is, really. And so the only way I could let myself really tell these stories is to sort of phrase it like I was talking to another human being. Like, listen, I'm going right, to I'm gonna right. talk to you about this. I'm going to give you some of it. Not going to give you other parts. I realize that might be frustrating. I'm not trying to be coy, but some of my life is just for me and some of these things I'm willing to share. Um, in the excerpt that we published, um, there's a line that says, even after my poem went viral, I was still hidden, cleverly disguised as one of the least visible creatures on earth, a middle-aged mother. Tell me more about that. I mean, 
facetiously, I, I kind of like love that at this point in my life because I like to, to move in the world without, without causing many ripples. So it's, it's like in some ways, it's like being, being like a 46 year old Midwestern mom is not a, a bad thing. Um, because I don't attract a lot of attention and I can kind of, as an introvert yeah. too, I can kind of move in the world without, without too many ripples around me, but it can also be really frustrating you know, to feel unseen and to feel like your work in the world or multiple kinds of work are unseen, particularly if they're unseen by people close to you. You know, I right. don't really care if the neighbors know what I'm doing, although I think they do now. I think I'm, I've been outed. Um, but, you know, it, it does matter to me that I'm seen by my partner my parents, my friends, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of invisibility. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I joke about like, I like being a little incognito. I like that my hair is longer than my author photo because I can move even in literary spaces. And most people, especially <laughs> if I'm wearing glasses, don't recognize me. But but that's not the same thing as feeling unseen and invisible. And that that I think is painful, whether you're an artist or not. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the tweets after we published the excerpt said, um, please send heartwarming stories of straight male partners supporting your creative endeavors, hungry for a story that isn't I achieved unprecedented professional success and my relationship was never the same. Um, and I know you've been on tour talking to a lot of people. Um, have readers come to you with their own stories of partners who've responded poorly to their successes? And what has that been like? I I'm getting so many DMs, so many emails, uh, so many people coming up and signing lines and sort of conspiratorially whispering things, leaning across the yeah. the table as I sign their books. I mean, it's it's been really wild. And on one hand, it's sort of heartening, right? It's like heartening because I'm not alone. Yeah, you're not the only one. And also, it makes me feel it's sort of heartening because... We can have a conversation about it now that this this mm -hmm. book is in the world. The disheartening part is like, oh, I'm not the only one. This is incredibly widespread. It's this. It's just like two mm -hmm. halves of the same, the same coin, like two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, why are we still having these discussions? You know, why do we still have to keep writing and publishing these? Can she have it all? pieces mm -hmm. in the year of our lord 2023 um this is a never-ending cut question right i mean it's so <laughs> it's so frustrating yeah. and it just seems like you know how do we move the needle on a lot of these issues that that i think do disproportionately affect women um mm -hmm. how do we move the needle on these things and and ultimately i'm i'm realizing like the needle can't be moved if we're only preaching to the choir which means that, like, 100%. These, these women who are leaning across the table talking to me at these signing lines, like, their partners need to be having these conversations and let in into these mm -hmm. conversations and reading these pieces and reading these books mm -hmm. and, and, like, taking ownership of their stuff. How we also talk about divorce in culture right now, I, I also think it's just is shifting a ton. Um, we did, a like, a divorce, it's over week on the cut, um, do you feel like there's a narrative shift happening as more women are more comfortable sharing their stories and 
I think so many just language around divorce and separation has shifted, but it does feel like there's a shift in um, the amount of people willing to to talk about something that I think in the past was seen as somewhat of a failure. A hundred percent. And I, I think I, I might be wrong about this, but I feel like I read a, a statistic recently that said that but more divorces now are initiated by women, which mm. I think. Yeah, like, I've read that a couple of okay, times. So too. we're yeah. just going to uh, go ahead and agree that that's true. OK, yeah. that was science <laughs> that just happened right there. Um, and it makes sense to me that some of the the like the shame and stigma of it would be lessened if women are actually the ones who are stepping up and being like, actually, I'm not that happy or this is not really working for me or, you know, I, I right. can't really grow in this relationship or it worked for a while and no longer works. And I think I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think the 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 stigma, particularly for divorced women because mm-hmm. so many men, it just seems like just get remarried right away, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then, like, what happens? It's like there, there are all of these, and and usually single moms who were just working like crazy, making miracles happen. Who has time to even meet another person? Um, and so I, I do. I hope, I hope these narratives are changing. I do know that some people, when they get divorced, are grieving deeply. A lot of people grieve deeply, even mm-hmm. if it's their decision. They're still grieving deeply. But I don't say right. I'm sorry anymore as a first sort of knee-jerk reaction when someone announces their mm-hmm. divorce. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Usually what I lead with is like, how are you feeling? Because the person might be like that Nicole Kidman photo post-Tom Cruise <laughs> where she did not look like someone who needed our condolences. You know, that person. Th- yeah, that was a congratulations. Thank you, right? Like, and so what mm-hmm. What someone might say is, I feel great. Like, this was a long time coming. Or, you know, I'm sad, yeah. but this was necessary. And so I think, you know, reading the room <laughs> is important. Totally, totally. Um What's one lesson or thing that you found out about yourself after writing this? Oh, my gosh. So many things. But I think one of the things that I I realize more than anything is like, and I felt a little ashamed about it, was how many sort of concessions I had made in my marriage to keep it going. Like, how can I keep this boat afloat? Mm -hmm. Just like throwing stuff off the side. Like, okay, that's too heavy, throw it off the side. Well, this this part of me is not going to make this work. Throw it off the side. It's it's funny how sometimes we're too close to things to see them, Mm -hmm. even if they're right in front of our faces. And and because writing is so contextualizing, and I think I, looking back on it, thought, oh my gosh, wow. Like, I really did bargain a lot of stuff away. And I shouldn't have done that. And I'm not going to beat mm-hmm. myself up about it. I, I forgive myself. I did my best. But I'm not going to do that again. Right, right. Um, what do you want people to take away from after reading You Could Make This Place Beautiful? Or what's the thing that you say to people when they, they're like, oh, I want to read this. Or I'm nervous to read it or excited to read it. Like, what's the thing that you want them to understand about this this body of work? I mean, I hope it resonates with people even if they haven't had, and I hope they haven't had, the bulk of the experiences that I write about in this book. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think I don't think of it as a divorce book. Um, 
I don't think of it as a parenting book. I don't even think of it necessarily as 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 a writer's book, but it's also all of those things. So I hope that mm-hmm. people come to it with a kind of openness to take away whatever it is that that seems useful to them in the moment. I I have a hard time saying I hope you enjoy it. You know, like when I'm signing a book to someone and I shove it at them <laughs> and I'm like I hope right. you like it or enjoy it and I think I'm not sure that's really the verb. <laughs> Because it's, there are, you know, light parts of the book and the book has a lot of joy and I do think it's funny. Um, But there's also, you know, there's a lot of like, a lot of pain and a lot of vulnerability in the book too. I'm not sure it's, it's um, like a light beach read. Um, But ultimately what I've heard from people is that they're finding it hopeful and encouraging. And I, I always love to hear that. Yeah. Um, so you have to tell us what's, what's next. What are you, what are you most looking forward to, to writing about? What are you excited Anything about? Anything other than this? <laughs> I'm not writing about divorce anymore. Um, my next book that will be out next February is, uh, an illustrated picture book. So yeah, oh, wow. called My okay. Thoughts Have Wings. And I, I think I'm so just unequivocally excited <laughs> to do Mm -hmm. um you know um to talk about this book and to and to like do library story times it seems like a much less complicated um publishing experience and publishing a memoir about about your adult life so I'm I'm really excited about that and then I'm working on I'm working on essays and and poems right now as as often as they show up and ask to be written I'm happy to welcome them (laughs) and write them wow I love that title. My thoughts have wings. You, the best titles. Oh well, maybe. poets. You know, we do our yeah. thing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, this was really incredible, and congratulations to you on everything. Um, again, if you guys haven't read the book, you definitely should. It's amazing. Um, you could make this place beautiful. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank it. you. Thanks for having me. In her shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our lead producer is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brendan McFarland. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From Power Greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to Power Beats that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash V-I-Y-A.